0: Still my soul And shall you better know his love, his heart? And blessed we shall meet at last.
1: Hello friends, it is good to be with you today. We are continuing uh, in our series, in the book of Romans. And today we're gonna be looking at Romans chapter three, verses one through eight. And the Apostle Paul is going to use a kind of philosophical technique. He's gonna use what's called a diatribe, which is a series of questions and answers. But I think the best way to think about this text is to think about Paul talking to himself. And what I mean by that is Paul the Pharisee in a debate with Paul the Christian. And the reason that Paul is doing this in this letter is to help uh, the church in Rome understand the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of God's covenant with, uh, with the Jewish people, the fulfillment of that covenant in the person of Jesus, the necessity of a new way, uh, because the law could not save, uh, but the hope of the gospel, which is driven by Jesus's life, death, Uh, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of his spirit. And so Paul begins uh, here to open up for us really what is the dangers of entitlement. And and I think it's important for us to actually think through this even as believers. How often do we find a sense of entitlement? Uh, We act as if our position as recipients of grace means we have some sort of free ticket to live as we want. But we can never forget that we are sinners, that the reason that we are saints is because we are sinners who have been saved by the finished work of Jesus. But when we lose perspective, when we don't start from the foundation that we are mixture, that sin is not something we do it is something we are in the fabric of our being and why it is that we need help because we cannot save ourselves and so paul is trying to is trying to undermine those false securities that were probably inhabiting still those those jewish christians and he's reminding them why Why the Jew, in his position as a covenantal people, should not be secure uh, as covenantal people if they reject God's answer to the dilemma of that covenant, which is Jesus himself. I think one of the things that Paul is helping us to understand more fully through these opening chapters in Romans is really what theologians have called the doctrine of original sin. Karl Barth said that the doctrine of original sin is that which emerges from all honest study of history. It's why Chesterton said the greatest argument for Christianity is sin. The greatest argument against Christianity is Christians. Why? Because all are sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is not the little things we do wrong. Sin is what we are in the fabric of our being. It is our rebellion against God's rule. It's our rejection of His grace, it's our violation of His very law, which puts all people under condemnation and why our hope rests so firmly in one thing and one thing alone, and that is the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and sending of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, our Savior, who has offered forgiveness to the world by becoming sin, Uh, So, here we are going to deal with this diatribe, because it's important for us to remember, we can't fall into the trappings of entitlement, and this is a problem that often creeps into the church, is that we begin to think that our performance is the thing that's impressing God rather than recognizing that we cannot add to or take away from God's finished work on our behalf. I think what is so violating about that principle is it challenges the common modern notion that I am what I make myself. And the truth is is that I am a sinner in need of a savior and that should be the central foundational tenet. And so no matter how long we've walked with Jesus, or maybe you haven't put your faith in him at all, we are all in the same place without him, lost. And so, here Paul begins to unravel that false confidence in the position that the Jews found themselves as God's covenantal people and the questions that they would be asking if Jesus truly is the Messiah, is God is God violating his covenant with us by saying the law is no longer necessary. So here's where Paul begins. He says, what advantage then in, in chapter three, verse one, has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? And then Paul says, much in every way, chiefly because to them, were committed the oracles of God. So like I said in the beginning, think of Paul the Pharisee now in a debate with Paul the Christian. And what is the question that that Paul the Pharisee is asking? Does, Does your teaching undermine God's covenant? Do not the Jews have unique privileges? Isn't the very teaching of the gospel undermining those privileges? And what Paul the Christian says is, no, the Jews were given the privilege of being entrusted with the law, but it never meant that they could live with impunity. That is, it never meant that they could just violate that law uh, and not experience God's condemnation. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 5 through 8 says, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to... Observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all of these statutes. And say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it? As the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him, and what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day." In other words, the law was given not to be the centerpiece of the Jewish life. God was to be the centerpiece. The law was given to be the parameters by which they could be a royal priesthood to the surrounding nations. In other words, that they would be a witness to the mercy and goodness of God. But the Jews did not understand. They received the law, but they did not possess it, it's, it's right meaning because they elevated the law above the lawgiver, and they lived in a rebellion against God's law. Their witness was destroyed, and God's glory was violated by their rebellion. Sin was a problem, and that's why I say the law is good and perfect, but the law, like a plumb line from heaven, cannot straighten a crooked wall. It can only show us that the wall is crooked. We need something else. And and I think just if I could just say this, when we think about this in regards to the dangers of, of Christian privilege, is it not true that as Christians we can live with this false idea that because Jesus has paid it all, I can live however I want? And let us not be fooled. God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. Is forgiveness absolute, past, present, and future in the atoning work of Jesus? Yes, it is. But... It doesn't mean that you won't deal with the consequences of continued patterns of sin. It doesn't mean that you aren't going to experience the heartbreak of rebellion against God's rule. You may be forgiven, but you can still make an absolute mess of your life. And the judgment that comes is what we're told in Romans 1, the wrath of God, God gives us over to do those things which he, which are unfitting. In other words, he says, fine, you wanna be your own God? Let's see how that works out for you. In his mercy, even his wrath is a part of his redemptive purposes for he releases us to our vices often to help us come to an end of ourselves. But let us never make God responsible for sin, nor let us challenge God's faithfulness to his own covenant because he absolutely has remained faithful to his covenantal promise with Abraham and with David. And all of those promises are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. If we think of Jesus as the second Adam, the representative man uh, to the world, the first Adam, through the first Adam came sin, through the second Adam came atonement, forgiveness, a radical new humanity. But not only is he the new representative, he is also the true Israel. And we have to see that God has absolutely been faithful uh, to his covenant. Paul's teaching did not undermine God's covenantal purposes in any way. Unfortunately, the privilege that the Jews had received had been perverted because God had given them a responsibility to keep that which was given to them and their position was contingent upon their obedience. If we are to be a special people, we must live a special life. That is, the question is that if we have received God's grace as Christians, if we ever apply this kind of pastorally to our own lives, uh, if we've received his grace into our lives, if we have been filled with his spirit, the question is, is does our life reflect the new creation, the new relationship that we have with him? And the fact is, is that we are a mess. And part of the new creation is revealed not in our, um, not in a pretense that says, now that I have Jesus, I'm not sinning. It's a humility that comes that recognizes that only dependence upon the sinless one, Jesus himself, through the empowerment of his spirit, can I live in his victory today. And so I think that this is an incredible uh, reminder of even Jesus's own words, if you love me, keep my commandments. And what was his commandment? that you love one another. He says, then you, by this they will know you're my disciples for love is the fulfillment of the law and to be radically transformed by the gospel is to have our affections transformed. It's to be a people that now are functioning from a gratitude that it is the love of Christ alone that compels us to live a life that reflects Christ. We are conduits of grace, sinners saved by grace, who are telling one beggar where another beggar can get, where, where we as beggars can get water to drink. Uh, this is the power of the gospel. So what does Paul go on to say? He says, for what if some did not believe? Will, and that is speaking specifically of those covenantal people, of the Jews. What if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. And what is the question that is being posed right now between Paul the Pharisee and Paul the Christian? The Pharisee is saying, Hey, listen, if some of the Jews as God's chosen people are unfaithful and come under God's condemnation, doesn't that make God unreliable or unjust in regards to his promises? Can his law be even trusted? But what Paul the Christian says is, hey, listen, the opposite is true. God is impartial and his truth is immovable. It actually unveils God's absolute justice and his fidelity regardless of whether man is faithful or not. In other words, what Paul is saying is that God is true, he is the answer, he's the helper, he's the judge and the redeemer, not man. Humanity cannot save itself. Our morality cannot save us. Our our relationship to our faithful family members cannot save us. Being born into a Christian family cannot save us. Our church membership cannot save us. Our understanding of God's word cannot save us. Jesus alone saves, and he is free from man's sinfulness. He has chosen sovereignly to enter into our sin, to do something about it. He is faithful even when we are faithless. Psalm 62 verse nine says, "'Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether light, lighter than vapor.'" This is not a proving of bad behavior, but is establishing that God is actually true to his perfect character, and, will not, and we are not to be deceived because God is not mocked and he will judge disobedience and has judged disobedience through the atoning work of Jesus. So why would we take advantage of the very thing that Jesus came to deal with? For he was the judge and the judged in our place. And this is why it says in Hebrews that, listen, if we reject the if we reject the cross if we keep living in sin there is no other possibility other than than living in accordance to a total dependence in in a true faith in the one who died for us and says listen if you continue to act like like jesus has not paid it all, then what you're doing is just dragging the name of Jesus through the mud. You're you're treading upon that sacrifice that has put us into that position of new creation. And so here he is saying, listen, God God is true to his purposes, his plans. He will judge sin, has judged sin, and his judgment and his justice uh, is a part of of his righteous character it is the outflow of his righteous character and he will be faithful to his purpose to set right that which is wrong in the world Uh, and so this is something that paul is very intent on reminding us is listen because of the jews lack of fidelity to the law that was given to them by god uh, that by no means reflects on god it reflects on the dilemma, which is sin, which has rendered us impotent in our ability to save ourselves. And if anything, uh, God in his redemptive purposes through Jesus has shown us that he still tips the scales toward mercy, for while we were yet still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. This is the good news of the gospel, is that yes, God must judge rebellion, but he has judged that rebellion by allowing his son to, to become the very carrier of that rebellion through his atoning work on the cross. And this is why Paul goes on in verses five through eight to say these things. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God is increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just? What is the question being posed? Hey, listen, if, if darkness unveils his light, why not sin more that his righteousness might be seen even, even greater? Why not live as I want so that His grace may abound? Why not let my infidelity unveil His fidelity? Listen, sin will never glorify God. His grace may override it, but never is there justification for it. Jesus is the justifier of the sinner. It is not sin that brings God glory, but God's sovereign ability to enter into that sin and to do something about it, to render true justice by taking the judgment that we deserve into himself, by overriding it with his mercy and grace. But let us remember that the gift of grace may be free for us to receive, but it was costly for God. It cost him his son, it cost Jesus his life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit suffered greatly through the atoning work, that the world is now being reconciled because of the atoning work of Jesus. So Paul is reminding us that God remains absolutely true to who He is, and that there is nothing we can do, either good or bad, that alters His goodness on any level that he, His truth and His glory is an immovable reality. And this is why we have really one of two options. Uh, and that is that we can either surrender to the truth, for the truth is not knowledge to be learned, but someone to know. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or we can be crushed by that truth. For we are told that there will be a day when every knee shall bow. Before Jesus as Lord and we can either bow the knee before him as Savior and Lord or we can bow the knee before him as judge and Lord but he is the Lord whether you want him to be or not this is where Paul is taking us he is showing us that listen the only foundation for confidence is the foundation of the cross. We will not be justified by our moralism. We will not be justified by our sin. We are justified by our savior who became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He is the fulfiller of the law for the law cannot save us. It can only show us that we are sinful. In need of a Savior. Some of the divine realities that are spoken of in this text that I think it's worth noting in closing is really powerful. Um, first of all Paul reminds, uh, reminds his readers that God has disclosed himself through his law and now perfectly through his Son. In fact the opening of Hebrew says that God at various times has spoken He's a God who speaks and he has spoken through the prophet and through the law and through his scriptures. But he says in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. The son is the final word of the father. All that God has to say or desires to say is declared in the person of Jesus. He has nothing more to say than what he has said and what he continues to say. Through the living Christ. Uh, secondly, the the faithfulness of God is proclaimed in this passage. Uh, in in verse three, we're reminded that God is completely uh, is complete fidelity to His plans and His purposes. And and this is really important in a time like Corona, where it can feel like life and existence in the world is just a big just a big question mark. It's just, a, it's, it's just a bundle of uncertainty. Listen, this is not taking God by surprise. I don't make God responsible for all that is, but I do believe that God has the final word and his sovereignty means he is free to move in history as he sees fit because Jesus, uh, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, History has forever been transformed, and we know the beginning and the end. We don't know when the end will come, but we know how the story ends. And because of that, we are to live with a daily confidence that God has not lost his grip or his control. He is faithful to fulfill his purposes. The righteousness of God is spoken of in these passages. In verse 5, speaking of God's perfect Character. Not only is he faithful to his plans and his purposes, but he is a God who we can trust. His character. He's good. He is merciful. He loves us in spite of our unlovable realities. Uh, six tells us of the judgment of God, which gives us reminds us that we can we can uh, be certain that God is totally just. When we get worried about his judgment, we can trust that his judgment is in accordance with his character and that whatever he decides, it will be the best decision possible. That God is a God who is just and there is a lot of injustice in the world and we want justice to reign. Uh, And God's kingdom is here but it is coming in full and it will be a day of total and perfect justice. We're also given insight into the truth of God in verse 7, which, which speaks of the absolute accuracy in God's decision-making, that it is without error, that he is an immovable reality. And finally, the glory of God. He is the supreme reason we exist, is to bring him glory. The supreme reason we exist is to bring him glory We also are reminded not only of those divine realities, but we all are reminded of human responsibility. We have been entrusted with the scriptures. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are are given the power to walk in obedience as witnesses to the living presence of Jesus Christ. And we must be aware of the, of the daily tendency toward unbelief. Uh, because the truest prayer we can pray uh, as sinners who are now saints is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We must be cautious against abusing God's grace and we must recognize that the things that we say, the things that we think, and the things that we do will come under the examination of our King and our Savior. And the most important thing that we need to have confidence in is that we are known by Jesus and we know Jesus, that we are loved by Jesus and that we are lovers of Jesus. We love him only because he first loved us. The greatest threat that i see in scripture is the danger of standing before our king one day and hearing the words away from me i never knew you the gospel is about a restoration of right relationship in three directions first and foremost with god secondly with others and then finally with ourselves the world has reversed that order and we never even get to god and rarely get to others all focus has been placed upon self and listen Because we are saved by grace does not mean we get to continue living um, with a allegiance to the world. Allegiance to the world is enmity to God. And therefore, what God is wanting from his creatures is not moral perfection, but daily dependence. Have you trusted him today? Have you trusted him with your life and say, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. May we repent of the ways that we rebel against his rule. May we repent of the ways that we try to prove our lovability through our own efforts. May we repent of the, of the times that we try to perfect in the flesh what God has begun in the Spirit. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. On your worst day, Jesus is crazy about you. On your worst day, he's crazy about you. I love you guys so much, and I cannot wait for us to be together again. Uh, this is Josh. Until next time you.